Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Today's guest is an arts administrator, emerging producer, and a classically trained soprano. She spends her time doing extensive research on and advocating for women and non-binary composers through the Women's Composers Project and pushing for and successfully creating space for a more diverse program at the UWA Conservatorium of Music. She presented on the subject at the 2019 Gender Diversity in Music and Arts Conference, leading a discussion about the lack of gender equity in classical voice repertoire performed at the tertiary level. Not contempt to wait for change, she took the next step and founded 10th Muse Initiative, with the goal of amplifying underrepresented composers and artists. The initiative had produced award-winning shows that set a new standard for art music in Boorooloo championing and platforming new musicians and creators while providing inclusive spaces where art music is welcoming and accessible. That's an awful lot. We've got a buttload to cover in this chat. So please welcome my incredible guest, Hannah Lee Tungate. How are you, Hannah? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Um, Oh my gosh, what a word soup to begin. <laughs> to begin. You have to, like put your hand in every available pie. Absolutely. We love to see it. But let's go back to the beginning. For you, why music? Music for me, I started at a very early age, desperate to play the flute. Don't ask me why. That was the thing. <laughs> and so I did by the time I got to middle school, hit my 20s and stopped doing music entirely. Ooh. And suddenly I got really depressed. And it turned out music was missing yeah. in my life. So ever since I've had to just put it back in my life, which is why I ended up doing a degree in it. And it's just such a core of who I am. Mm. I can't not do music. It's so interesting. When you make, was it a conscious decision to stop doing music or just something that fell off in your 20s while trying to live? Yeah, basically, you know, you finish high school where you do most of your music as a teenager. And I didn't really have a go next step. I didn't go to uni. I just went and worked and it just dropped off the radar. Yeah. Okay. So when you went to pick it back up again, why pursue it in such a traditional way? Why go through the steps of like getting a degree in music where, I mean, technically you could just go to a lot of art shows and play the flute in your spare time, right? So I actually was pursuing the plan to become a music therapist. I wanted to help people with music because I'd realized how quintessential it is to kind of human experience and all of that. We've got exactly zero courses in music therapy here in Western Australia. True that. (laughs) So the plan was to get a basic music degree, go on to Melbourne, Mm. do the music therapy course. This is all, I was in England at the time. I've actually moved. Okay. (laughs) So out of change of country, um, came to do the degree here and 
ended up, it just kind of went on from there. Mm. You do a degree planning an out, one outcome yep. and you end up somewhere else, which is what's happened to me. <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, in that study period, is that where you were first introduced to the incredible um, women composers or were you just sort of shut off from that in your classical training? So I approached that because I was shut off in, from it in the classical training. So I got to, I think, my second year and started being like, I haven't heard anything about any women composers. Mm -hmm. I know I've sung them, but that was, you know, back in high school, but I haven't heard any recently. So I started doing stuff myself, taking pieces to my teacher and just started getting frustrated. And then it just snowballed from yeah. there and just kind of became a bit of a hyper focus, not going to lie, <laughs> of just like women composers, which has broadened since then because obviously there's many marginalised mm, completely. Um, composers out there that not just women. Yeah, but the canon that you're presented when doing a classical music degree, as somebody who's done one myself, um, mm. it's very much like these are the four composers that have existed over the last 700 years. Take your pick. Dead white German men. Yes. <laughs> if we love them. Yeah, if you're lucky, you'll be like, oh, Ven Arno, oh, never mind. No, that's no. okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Sometimes you get dead English men, but mostly German, mostly Italian, very European, no matter what. Completely. And then, yeah. Um, so I I started poking around. The Women Composers Project came from me sitting having a coffee and going, oh, I wonder if I could just post a composer a day for, for Women's History Month. Yeah. Happened to be the 1st of March and was like, well, that's a fun thing to do for a month. <laughs> yep. So I did that, started that in 2018 and um, haven't stopped since. <laughs> and... Um, it kind of was this, no one else was doing it at the time or it just seemed that way. And there definitely was other people out there. Yeah. But kind of since 2018 to now, all of these other things also happening. So I've connected with like lots of other people pursuing the same stuff. Mm. And just women composers kind of became the core of what I was looking at for, well, the last five years. Yeah, right. So I talk a, a little bit in this show about like institutionalized learning in mm. Western Australia and about the fact mm. that my personal experience, I won't judge anybody else's, is that it was incredibly segregated and in arts it was very much like, okay, here are the people that you got into your degree with, they're the people you're going to spend the next four to five years with and you won't see anybody else. Like we didn't even hang out with the piano students, which seems a bit nuts considering how much we all needed them. <laughs> um, was that a similar experience for you? So now in your world it's very much like, oh, suddenly I can collaborate with all these different artists that you were not around? Actually, no. So I... At UWA, we, I joined the Music Student Society, so I was on the committee. Um, so from like 2016, I started putting on concerts through them. And that we were just, the conservatorium has become this place where everyone kind of talks to each other. Mm. So, you know, the pianist in my year would come accompany all the singers that wanted to get up and do stuff. We started with like a Pride concert and then we had a Women Composers concert. Wow. and. They're still going now, even when I've graduated, which Yay, is really cool. That's like the best thing is if something can continue when you're not there. Exactly. It's like almost like a legacy, though you haven't died to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still something cool that um, especially there are so many 
Oh gosh, where am I going with this? Let's have it like, okay, so when we tour shows or productions and we do things externally and we involve ourselves in community engagement projects across the state or across the country, wherever you are, um, if you don't put something, plant a seed there that can actually grow and continue, then you're expecting communities to just wait 12 months or wait until you come back Mm. next time. So it's really good when you can create something that sustains itself without you existing. I think it's a better sign than being like, oh, I'm a great singer in this program, cannot exist without moi. So yeah. Making yourself the core of something actually kind of sets it up to fail. Mm. You can't, if people get excited about what you were doing and want to keep it happening, that's the goal, right? You want to share that love. I wanted to share women composers. I want to share LGBT composers and just celebrate them for who they were or are. And now people continue to do that and I'm not involved. And it's like, awesome. Yeah. Which means the learning continues without you needing to be there throwing books at people's heads, which is great. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, When you started going through this, like you were saying a frustrating period of exploring um, female composers and women in in music, uh, were they all in the genre of classical music or did you branch outside of that? So for me, it was very much in the art song, classical voice world, just because that's what I was in. Yeah. So a lot of the searching and research I was doing was trying to find cooler pieces to do myself. Yeah, I love doing really hard repertoire, which may shoot myself in the foot for doing that <laughs> a lot of the time. But finding stuff that excited me, no one else was doing it, so there's no one to compare to either. So it was very much kind of finding this very niche area for yourself mm. and then people going oh where did you find that and I'm like well here you go here's the book I have it <laughs> um and I just I very I very much like baroque music yeah but also I love new music so I love 20th late 20th century early this century art song mm. and the kind of quirkiness that a lot of composers bring into it and it's so much more interesting that way yeah so you start to have that um the modern influence that, and songs that actually relate to like today and yes. um, relatable experiences <laughs> rather than just like, oh, my love has died at war. And just <laughs> That's if you've got something relatable. Otherwise you'd be stuck with Mozart being like, my love is a pair. Like, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. That's really helpful. Yep. Um, and how did you find people's initial reaction to the works? Was Were they confronted by it or were they were your music teachers and stuff very accepting to the new works? I was very fortunate. I was learning from Sarah McCliver. So wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful human being, the most supportive of teachers. And I would bring her stuff and she's like, oh, this is amazing. Let's do it. Cool. Uh, can I have a copy? And <laughs> like that's continued um, for me all through my time at UWA and past then. I just like bringing my teachers stuff um, and usually they're excited because if you're excited, hopefully you pass that on. I don't think we've come across a piece where she's gone, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> not this time. We just stop with this. Sometimes there's a, hey, that's really hard. Maybe not right now. <laughs> when are you going to go back to your Vakai? Yeah. Is that going to happen anytime <laughs> soon? <laughs> I launched um, 10th Muse through part of the conservatorium's concert season. So our very first thing that we ever did was kind of sneakily through their own thing mm. before they realised that what that was what I was doing. <laughs> Probably get in trouble for that now, but it's fine. Whatever. You're not there. <laughs> We're not there. Um, but actually the pandemic hit straight away. So I got a lot of perspective 
and a lot of like time to think things through. And I just found I was calling on a lot of friends that I knew through uni and a lot of the people I've chosen to work with, the people I remember being mm. good to work with. And they're now semi-professionals or professionals, some of them. Um, and you use those connections that you build up. What I find is people like interesting projects. So I've had a few people approach me and um, say, I'd really love to do this. Do you think we could? Mm. Um, and I think you slowly build up all these people who are actually quite like-minded. Yeah. And what I found is that frustration I felt of where are all the women composers? <laughs> a lot of people have felt the same thing, but it, in different aspects, like where are all the music that I want to listen to? Where are the cool pieces? Where are the... Where are the where's the cool stuff? <laughs> where's, where's the stuff out there that excites me and I want to go and listen to it? Yeah. So that's where um, my co-founder, Saskia Willage, Willage, she kind of spurred the 10th Muse stuff actually to happen. Without her, it wouldn't have actually got off the ground because it would just be me berating people about women. <laughs> um, <laughs> Two different styles, yeah. <laughs> you know, but she was like, you know, what are we actually going to do with this? Like, yeah. what's your plan? Where do you want to go with this? Um, and it's just changed and morphed into... More people have come on board, more people have left, and we just kind of meander, I think is the best way, <laughs> through through people we want to work with, people we're aspiring to work with in the future, and kind of setting little goals and seeing where we get to. Yeah. So how uh, how do you work at expanding those like circles? Because obviously we all start with the people that we know, but in order to create like fair and accessible workplaces, we need to expand on that idea. So how do you go about doing that? Um, I'm surprisingly good at reaching out to people I kind of know and being like, hey, we don't know each other very well, but I'd love to buy you a coffee and have a chat about something. Yeah. And I do that with a lot of people and turns out I'm okay at it because people <laughs> seem to like what I'm telling them. <laughs> um, so I, I like to have personal face-to-face -face conversations. I like to approach people who I think might be interested in what I'm doing. I've had a few people approach me and said, I, I just would really love to be involved. Mm. I've gone for that coffee and it's turned into them joining um, us with 10th Muse. So that's how Jessica Taylor actually joined our group. Um, I was going out for brunch with her to see if she wanted to perform yep. in a thing. And they were like, I want to... I want to do what we're, what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I like what you're selling. Can I be part of this? And yeah, the rest is history. It's been a wonderful relationship and now good friends, which is also wonderful. Also just a fantastic point on the top of it. Um, I'm going to go back just a little bit to the, um, the subject you presented on at the 2019 Gender Diversity in Music and Arts Conference. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what you spoke about specifically? Sure. So the actual speaking was, so the way that was structured was I had submitted a performance. So I submitted performing two works by um, composer Libby Larson, who's stunning, prolific American composer, has written so many art songs, never heard them in Perth. I have now because I sang them. But <laughs> Ooh, the, I love the little flex I have now because I did it. Yeah. So good. 
You've got to flex it when you can, yeah, right? Yeah, why not? Um, so I performed two of her works. One was When I'm an Old Woman, that old Jenny Lang poem. Mm. And the other was um, Words by Margaret Atwood. And it was about consum- um, consuming. And mm. it was kind of like a a little slight on consumer- consumerism, but um, in a very poetic Margaret yeah. Atwood way. So it's, you know, incredible... And um, woman composer combined with two amazing poets. Um, and so I presented those. And then it was basically a Q&A, which turned into, ah. hey, why are you singing these? What's the deal? What are you doing? And we talked about how you're never going to see change in any sector without change makers. For tertiary education, it comes down to the teachers. Mm. So the teachers only know what their teachers knew. So they've totally. only got the rep, unless they've spent time looking for stuff, you're only going to get the same rep being recycled. So you're never going to get diversity or equity. You're never going to see more um, marginalised or historically ignored composers if mm. no one's bringing them to the table. Yeah, completely. Um, so kind of part of what I was trying to do is bring them to the table. So <laughs> I've bought books for um, at least four teachers in Perth. Wow. You know, this is small-scale advocacy stuff, mm. which has a like, ripple effect yeah. on the next generation of singers who come through. My focus is obviously singers because that's where I ended up. Yeah. But um, I do have a broader want for that to ripple through other instrument groups and outside, but I have big aspirations, it's fine. Do you find that that juts up against a tertiary curriculum, which can sometimes focus quite heavily on a traditional canon? Um, yes and no. So I'm quite lucky. Um, Andrew Foote, Sarah McCliver, Lisa Harper-Brown, all been very, very um, open to the idea. Mm. And a lot of the pieces I've been presenting have been ones that kind of fit adjacent to what they already teach. Yeah. So they're ones that tick those boxes of um, technical things that you have to tick. Totally. Um, there was a book released called the 24 songs and arias for women, by women composers. Mm. So they are, it's 24 pieces that kind of remove that old canon book, the dusty one that everyone has in their cupboard and all of the pieces are now by women and they actually do complement what the original book was doing. So, um, you can kind of use them hand in hand and mix up your repertoire Fantastic, um, yeah. So I've found so far people are pretty, pretty open to change because until I started harping on about it, maybe they hadn't thought of it before. Mm. Um, and I think they're excited to do new stuff because they must be bored of <laughs> yeah. same aria, same art song every year. Yeah, completely. And it's not a disservice where you're shutting down the teachers in the institution because, like, we all know that there's no teacher who is paid compensated properly for what they do, especially at a tertiary level. And it is so much more convenient to teach songs that you were taught because you've already got the sheet music, you already know how to teach it probably because you learnt it in that style or learnt it that way. Um, but it's not necessarily conducive to like creating the next group of singers who are coming up. And I found um, a lot of the time that hesitancy is like, I just don't know how it goes. So mm. if you can then be like, well, 
let me sing a bit for you. I've been checking this out anyway. Or, hey, I found this recording. Some people have recorded them, so here you go. Yeah. And it's just kind of, some of it feels like hand-holding, but it's not hand-holding. It's more kind of bringing them along for this ride and getting yeah. them on kind of like the end of the train and maybe <laughs> they'll catch up with you later. Yeah. Um, but kind of presuming that they're open to it until they tell you that they're not. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah. Assuming that everybody's looking for the next best thing until they actively say, hey, by the way, I want to stay in the shadows. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Your focus as a singer then, how does that balance now with your incredible projects that you're doing with like women and non-binary composers? Does the singer Hannah still exist in the same form? So the singer Hannah is going through the, I've graduated, where do I go? I've created this awesome project that I'm really enjoying. What do I do as a singer? Mm. Um, some of what I've been doing since, well, basically through the whole pandemic is trying to rehone my own technique anyway. Mm. So I, there's a big personal journey in there and getting over myself. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> you have to get over that negative self-talk and all of that to like progress. But um, I kind of am in between knowing that I need to a certain extent learn that canon repertoire whilst also desperately doing all the new stuff. So I'm half and half doing the typical stuff and I'm half I'm doing all the stuff I want to be doing. Why are we doing canon stuff at all? Doing canon stuff because I have to do some auditions. And the mm. struggle I have found is the arias that are available. I haven't found good replacements for them yet uh okay yeah so and there's a certain amount of there's some big rep that I should try it's really frustrating because I don't want to yeah <laughs> but there's that kind of satisfying myself artistically <sighs> I want to get my voice stronger so technically I'm going to do these works because I can work on certain techniques with yep. them and then I'm going to do this project where I'm doing these kick-ass song cycles written by this person that I love. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I feel like I want to hone my own technique so I can go and do the pieces I want to do justice. Yeah. And in the audition space, is that something else that's driving you to do uh, what, we're, what we consider, keeps calling the canon of works that are just, like, accepted or that your judging pattern all the people taking your auditions have just heard a thousand times so therefore they know how to score it? Pretty much. Yeah. The worry of taking something new to an audition that they're like, well, I don't know if that was correct, kind of. And yeah. there's like that audition space of being like, well, you've got to tick that box that they want to tick on that day. What yeah. are you trying to achieve? And I don't have huge aspirations um, for doing anything else so I won't be doing like an audition circuit with all this like <laughs> audition yeah. like aria packages or anything <laughs> like that because that is just not me I can imagine just feel that would be really funny though I just I want to mostly hone my own techniques so I can get up confidently and sing the sing these really amazing pieces that I keep researching mm. and do them justice yep totally yeah. That's a really, really good spot. We're going to take our first little break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about translating all of this incredible stuff from the classical music scene into the modern Perth audience of 2022 and a little bit more about 10th Muse. We'll be right back. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. And we're back. I'm still joined by Hannah. And just before we went to break, we were talking about the classical music scene and sort of this like lexicon of like composers and how you're actively fighting against what these preconceived notions of composers and the canon and at a tertiary level. But we've left the tertiary world and we're outside of these institutions. How do we translate all of that to an audience in Perth in 2022? Well, we try lots of things. So <laughs> with great difficulty. <laughs> yeah. We we try and we hope people turn up to what we're putting on. Um I like someone described what 10th Muse Initiative does as boutique the other day and I think that's a really mm-hmm. fitting for what we do. Cuz so far we we pick an event or a theme that we want to fit. And we kind of work to that. And each project so far has been very, very, very different. Yeah. So obviously our last project was mostly spearheaded by Saskia and that was um, Symbiosis. Mm. And that was pairing local local poets and word artists with um, sound artists and creating pieces in response to basically nature. I love the way that you called them word and sound artists too because it opens us up to multiple genres or was it still sitting very much in a classical sphere? No, this was very outside of the classical sphere. There was a lot of, um, and in the end, the final performance ended a lot of pre-recorded mixed with um, electronic sound. Mm. That was just the artists we actually chose. Um, We... That's, (laughs) That's, <laughs> I had very, it was very hands-off with that project because yeah. this was Saskia's baby. It was run with um, Propel Youth Arts yeah. and very much supported by them. So I'm no longer a youth. So I kind of <laughs> took a step back and just let it happen. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of just, they were given a brief mm. um, and we just kind of let them do what they did and they were she kind of coached them into what they could do with yep. this kind of scope interestingly we did end up with a lot of pieces that were quite similar but very different at the same time the poetry we had was just mind-blowingly mm. good and the sound that complemented that it just I loved it it was really um dear to my heart like what we they ended up creating and I was really proud of what we did which is completely different to what we did at Fringe. <laughs> yes, very much so, which yeah. Which 
was Tea Break. Yeah. So that was um, a composer from Sydney, Christine Pan. Um, I met her through my day job and um, I had to interview her for my day job and discovered that she'd done this piece. She called it Spill the Tea. Mm. And she did it. This was at the Conservatorium in Sydney and it was each piece was written to complement certain types of tea and you're meant to drink the tea while you listen. Love it. And so immediately I was like, that would be an amazing friend show. And um, I approached her, I was like, would you be cool with us doing that in Perth? And obviously mid-pandemic, didn't know whether she could get over here Mm. for it or anything like that. So there was a lot of Zoom calling and um, chats about what we could, how we could do this. Um, And... Yeah, it was gorgeous. So four different types of tea, four different um, either duos or um, solo performers playing music that's meant to complement the taste profile of the tea. Wow. Multisensory. We love totally that. Totally multisensory. So um, that's where we won the Fringe Award, Weekly Award, <laughs> which is pretty cool. It's very cool. Um, and that, you know, that's entirely different to what we did before that, which was um, <laughs> Fresh Air, yep. which was all local up-and-coming composers from Borlu. And, yeah, that was also awesome, very eclectic mix. But all That's, of this is kind of the stuff that you want to do at uni rather than the stuff <laughs> that you do yeah. at the tertiary level. So outside of that canon, outside of the classical like, quote, unquote, kind of tiny genre, like, <laughs> yes. um, what people think of classical music rather mm. than what classical music can be. Totally. And when we talk about what people think of classical music, the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's something that I'm sure all of these listeners are so sick of me mentioning, is like that elitist element that makes classical music inaccessible from like an entry level point of not just being able to play it, but being able to enjoy listening to it as well. I distinctly remember walking out on stage at my graduation recital, doing my best, singing my little heart out, and then off stage saying to the people backstage, so what do I do when my audience is dead in 20 years? Like, what's my next step? Like, I've learned all of this music. I've spent all of this time working on a very particular thing. And I don't know if people are going to be sitting in my audience beyond the next couple of decades. So when you're talking about these incredible projects that when you describe them to me, it's like, yes, I want to see them. I want to be at them. How do we make them accessible at an entry level point for our audiences? The main thing we do with our, particularly, we started with ticket prices. Yes. So everything we do is on a sliding scale. Um, at the moment, it's $5 to $50 in $5 increments. It's just mm-hmm. how our ticketing service works. <laughs> it was the easiest yep. way. We wanted to do pay what you can and you can just put in whatever amount. Yep. But it works how it works. Um, and we found that actually works really well. It averages out. Um, some people maybe pay the $50, yeah. which pays for, um, you know, five people to pay the $5 yeah. and we haven't really lost out on any money. Um, so we found that's made it quite accessible to an audience that wouldn't necessarily give our concerts a go. Mm-hmm. Um, our very, our first post-pandemic concert was Ugly Beauty. Mm-hmm. 
very different, again, from the other three I've already mentioned, which was um, celebrating um, 19th century composer Pauline Viardo. Mm. Um, and it was all art song from the 19th century. So it was very, very different, very much in that classical voice space. And we had um, three people approach us saying, hey, really can't afford it with students, but can we come along? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, um, good. And they did, and they loved it. And they'd never been to a classical music concert. They'd never been to a classical voice concert. We got compliments about we put all the translations up on a screen so everyone could see what was being sung even when you don't speak French, which obviously... <laughs> Most of us, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yep. not that many people speak in French in, in Perth these days. No, not really. And even those of us who've gone through that education, um, I mean, for me, I we learned a new language every year, which means that I didn't learn any of the languages because oh, you can't I, learn oh, a language I know. in a year. Yeah. And you can't speak it and you don't necessarily understand it. You maybe understand one word. Yeah, you understand it phonetically and in a very formal, very formal language that your songs are written in, um, which isn't the way that most conversations are had. I used to joke that I knew um, poetic German. <laughs> so I was like, if you want to ask me about how the flowers look or how dark the day is, I can probably tell you that, but nothing else. If you want to introduce to royalty, I can do that. But beyond, I can't have a chat. I can't order a coffee. No, absolutely useless <laughs> yeah. language skills. Um but so I was really touched that we had all these compliments because that's what I want to do. A classical voice can actually be really engaging and really fun. Totally. Even when you're looking at the 19th century composers, it can be gorgeous and stunning. And when you understand what they're actually singing about, like that's huge in mm. itself. And okay, you may not like every song, but if you can tell a story... We had two narrators telling the story of Pauline Viardo's life and her contemporaries. So you were like learning at the same time, but in an interesting way. Yeah. And we talked about what they were up against just for being women at the time and all the barriers to their lives and their music making, which kind of made it, um, I think everyone can understand that to a certain thing, yeah. having barriers in their way. Um so it just kind of brought it to the 21st century, effectively. Yeah, completely. Um, and so I've got completely lost what your question was, but... Um, removing elitist barriers for our audience from the get-go because it's yeah. one thing to have them in the room yeah. and then they're having a multi-sensory experience with tea and music that matches the tea and, oh, my God, how freaking cool. But you have to get them in the door and yeah. a lot of the time when you go, oh, I'm an opera singer or I do classical music, the initial response is to go... Oh, I'm not smart enough. Mm. Oh, I'm not rich enough. Oh, I don't have a suit. Like, it's just to be like, this is inaccessible to me. So you've got to get the person in the door to begin with before you can present this incredible repertoire that you have access to. Ticket prices was the one, yes. the main thing we started with. But the other thing is showing people kind of what they can expect. So some of it mm. is in the advertising and being like, yeah. well, this is how it's going to go. This is what... Um, this is what you might see on the day. And I, I think Saskia did a really great job with symbiosis. So there was a lot of samples um, through our Instagram up there that mm. were shared in our newsletter and things like that to kind of give people a gauge of what's, what what can they yeah. expect. And I totally really love the idea that like giving full power to the youth, um, what was it, the Youth Propel Arts? Pro Propel Youth Arts. Okay, yeah, by giving full power to Propel Youth Arts and like having them run the show entirely themselves, it's like, 
yes, it's a step back for you in theory, but it's also like a great opportunity for all of those people to like invite their generation to come and yeah. see the show. And what I've found we, a lot of who are coming are our peers, our friends, but then I'm seeing, you know, my friends invite their friends who mm. invite their friends. And then there's these, I like to say our audience is not too old. We get a mix. We have had some older people, mostly my parents. Oh, it's never me being against people who oh, are no, older but I in know. the spectrum. But it's it's more of an idea of like if you want something to continue, you have to keep feeding it. You have to make it relevant. Like I wouldn't, as a teenager, I would not have chosen to go to the concert hall. Oh, for sure. And if even you can though, afford like, to go, yeah. I mean, if you can afford to go, yeah. that's a whole different. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> um. But I look at the concert hall concerts and I do attend more now as an adult because, I, I mean, I can afford it. Yeah. Um, but I look around and everyone is, again, that grey-haired, 65-plus, it doesn't look sustainable. And you've got to bring people along for the ride. So if you're not making things that are interesting to people, even, like, your own generation, mm-hmm. or what are you doing? And that's exactly the platform that you started with was because, like, in your own tertiary education, as much as you love the music and love the singing and all of that stuff, you were still finding yourself being like, I am uninterested. So if the people who are so engaged that they're going to put themselves in thousands of dollars worth of, like, hex or help or whatever it's called now, debt, to attend the university in the first place if they're not being sparked with joy then what good like what how are we going to do it for everybody else <laughs> well, exactly <laughs> if you can't do? if you can't get um yourself and your peers excited about what you're doing yes what are you going to do when you're putting on a big concert and you need to sell 300 tickets and no one wants to come? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, great, cool, my my friends want to go, um, but they all got comps and then now what? It's just like <laughs> everyone has comps and no, we're not making any money on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no money in the arts. Anyway. <laughs> but that propels that idea as yeah. well, which means that like suddenly the concept where it's like, oh, well, there's no money in the arts anyway, so therefore you shouldn't be expecting to be paid properly. Therefore, you shouldn't be expected to be treated with respect. But you're in a really expensive venue and no one can afford the tickets in the first place. It's, it's a jarring juxtaposition. Oh, it so is. And it's it's a frustration I have with a lot of arts orgs. Mm. And I say this as someone who works full-time for another arts org, which I yes. won't name. And I love my job. I really do. Mm. But there's there's gaps in what they're doing to engage people. And there's yeah. a there's a real gap. You see it with Wazo. And they have very elderly people in their audience. And then they do a kids program. But there's no, like, in between. Yeah. It's no, um, there's nothing to get... <laughs> You're me excited or yeah. even even someone who enjoys a symphony. There's nothing to like tangibly like go, that's for me. Because you don't see yourself represented in their programming. You don't right. necessarily see yourself represented on stage. Yeah. And you certainly don't see yourself represented in the audience. Yes. And if I can be awful for two seconds, we all asked them to stop doing Harry Potter replays about five years ago. Yeah. And that's the age group that you'd you'd think they'd be targeting is the people who grew up with that. But yet it's not something that any of us are asking for anymore and we stopped asking for it a while ago. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, if I could put my head in my hands, I would, but yeah. Then I'd lose all sound. You, you would. <laughs> okay, let's try and sort of get towards some sort of hope here because I feel like <laughs> I put us in a pit with that last no, comment. it's fine. <laughs> what can we do in a positive spectrum? There obviously are people like with the Youth Propel Arts Project who are looking at doing these incredible programs with music 
what, how can we do, what, how can we do, <laughs> words, um, what can we do as an audience to best support projects like 10th Muse moving forward? So I think the, the main thing is buy a ticket. Um, <laughs> yes, show up. Show up. Genuinely, like, sh- if you are also a friend of a musician or you're a musician yourself, show up for your friend's shows. I yeah. mean, that's a that's a really simple thing. And maybe don't ask for a comp if your friend's running the show. Mm, yeah. <laughs> With 10th Muse, obviously sliding scale ticket prices. I don't judge anyone for paying $5 over 50. Like you pay what you can and I don't mm-hmm. really, I don't need to know your personal finances for you picking your ticket price. Just pick one. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, you don't have to justify your choices there, like, which is really important. We ask people to honestly assess them and we have a few little like hints, you know, pay more if you can, mm. pay less if you need to. And we have a load of lists of like little indicators where you can kind of take a better stock of maybe you being in a more privileged position. So it's meant to ask people to take stock of their own privilege. Oh, I love that. That's really important. But if you are in a privileged position, but this month you've just had a massive tax bill and you need to pay $5 for a ticket, again, I'm not going to judge. Yeah, we're not going up to the door and being like, hang on a second. If you paid under $30, I need to know why. Where's your Hang on, show me your salary package. I'm like, we're not going to do that. Like, if you want a free ticket because you genuinely cannot afford it, ask and we will provide. Like, we, we have done that for other projects and we plan to continue to do that where we can. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is find, like, be interested in what your friends are doing. I think that's the other thing. (laughs) So (laughs) if, even if you think what your friend is doing is not for you, maybe Mm. just go to one, go to one concert, see what it's like. Yeah. Because I like, I think I'm different or maybe I'm not. I like everything. I will go to any Mm. type of show. I genuinely like most genres of music and I like getting out there when I can afford it, when I have the spoons to do so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when there's things on. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yay for things opening up and actually being on. <laughs> gig life. Yeah. But, you know, if your friend's got a friend show, go to it. Yeah. And, yeah, enjoy it. Participate in the art scene that you want to see. Like, if you want it to change... Find the people who are trying to change it yeah. and support them. We're not the only organisation trying to do new cool things. There are heaps of them I could list. I won't because my brain is tired. <laughs> um, but there are heaps of cool things happening in Perth. Yeah. And genuinely the the art music scene or if you want to call it the classical music scene in Perth is changing but it takes people to keep interacting with the change rather than spending the $90 on your concert hall tickets yeah um I mean still do that because why not if you want to yeah if you, if if you, you can, can and you yeah. want if you want to like no judgment on what you want to watch but support the independent things yeah go do more than just a single google search to see what's on this weekend to the top billing person who could afford to put their ad at the top yeah. Yeah. Let yourself go to page two of Google search. Page <laughs> <Do> two. It. <laughs> it's the best place to find things. Do it. Do it. I promise there's some cool stuff there. Probably this podcast, TBH. I don't think I'm on page one. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that's where we have to leave things today. But I think that's such a hopeful message to leave things on. Honestly, I think I've said it a thousand times before. It's the thinking globally, but just acting locally. And it doesn't have to be acting locally in a really big way, splashing lots of money around. It can be in a small way supporting um, 
those people around you and it makes a huge impact. It really does. Yeah. All right. Show us your pluggables. Show us. Tell us your pluggables. Basically, keep checking out our Instagram. We're very active on there, 10th Muse Initiative or Women Composers Project. Both are One is run by Saskia or the other is run by me. (laughs) But we're very active on there and that's where all our announcements will be. You can also go to our website, which is 10thmuseinitiative.com.au and there you can sign up for our newsletter. You get exclusive things on the newsletter like more photos and blogs (laughs) written by me. Painstaking blogs. We need to go and read those blogs. (laughs) Please read my blog. (laughs) Okay, so you'll find all of those fantastic links in the show notes today. And as always, if you like this podcast, you can like us on social media, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app, or send us a question to waexposepod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you, Hannah, so much for joining me today. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA Expose. <laughs> no Mozart. <laughs> no Mozart. Not here. Not in this house. <laughs> Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.